Welcome again. We have a lot of folks that have gathered here uh, today. Uh, perhaps our number might be a little less than the last few weeks, which we were expecting, if that is the case. We have many uh, who are joining us online, and we welcome you as well and are grateful for, for you. I know uh, our elders uh, have sent out a note uh, yesterday uh, in response to the uh, governor's uh, new executive uh, order this past week. Uh, calling on uh, Texans to wear our masks while we're out in public places and remember to uh, practice social distancing. Uh, There's still a lot of uh, uh, confusion that we have about this novel coronavirus, Uh, but I think one thing that there is uh, some agreement on is that this is certainly not going to hurt. If there's a chance of it helping and of also easing the anxiety of those around us, then that seems like uh, the right thing for us to do. And so I'm glad to see a lot of those uh, being worn today uh, while we were entering and leaving. And we appreciate uh, that very much and encourage you to continue uh, to do that and to continue to pray for our nation and our state and our communities, our leaders, our civil authorities, as they have uh, quite a burden uh, to bear. And so we continue uh, to pray for them. We continue to pray for our own shepherds and our leaders here at West Irwin and at other Uh, churches as well as we try to navigate through difficult times and through troubled waters. Uh, As was said uh, earlier, we, uh, as Danny shared around the the Lord's table, we we are not the first generation of Christians to have difficulties, and uh, our generation is not the one that has had the worst difficulties, and we understand that, but that doesn't deny the reality that uh, times are hard right now, and There are a lot of questions and a lot of confusion and a lot of anxiety. And it's a great time for us to remember uh, our blessings. I was talking with someone earlier in the foyer about uh, how this has helped us in some ways to remember um, to count our blessings. And how this has helped us, I believe, uh, to question inside of us what is the most important part in our lives. As we've been going through this uh, uh, series that we've just begun a couple of weeks ago on the Lord's Prayer, I think today in our songs, in our prayers, and in this message, point to that. Point to that one thing that is the most important and the most significant part of our lives. So again, we're grateful for those who are here. We're grateful for those joining us online, and if... uh, Again, if, as always, if you've missed the opportunity, those messages are on our website uh, under archives on our uh, live streaming page. They're on our, our church Facebook page. And um, uh, they're also, if you just want to listen, if you uh, have come to realize that Bill doesn't look any better online than he does in person, and you've decided that you'd rather just go ahead and listen to the audio, then we actually have a podcast option on our live streaming page and on our, uh, on our app as well. And so I hope that you will uh, uh, remember those things. You can scroll down on our live streaming page, and there is a, a little apple there that you can click on and go to uh, just the audio version uh, for a podcast of this message. Um, and as we've considered the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father 
who aren't in heaven, we have tried to zoom in on one word that describes that statement, that part of this great prayer. And so the first one, Father, uh, of course. Uh, And last week, as we considered our heavenly Father, we talked about his presence, his presence uh, in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, in his life on this earth 2,000 years ago, and in his continuing presence in our hearts, even today, uh, through his Holy Spirit. And we spoke of that uh, last week. And so as Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he affirms the holiness of God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There are two aspects to that statement. The aspect of hallowed or holiness and the aspect of the name of God and the significance of that. So that'll be our focus um, this morning. First of all, the term hallowed. Hallowed is equivalent to holy. They're very much related words. And the idea behind that statement, hallowed be your name, is holy be the name of God. Uh, As Danny shared as we began today, that great doxology from the end of Romans 11. I love that passage so much. Uh, because it's, it's the culmination of three chapters of, of the Apostle Paul kind of struggling with this whole question of, okay, now that we have accepted Gentiles into the church, now that we realize that the old law is done away, and so now there's this, this new law in Christ, this new way uh, of the church, how do, we, how do we make sense of how the Jews and the non-Jews fit in now? And so he struggles with that for, uh, for three whole chapters, chapters 9, 10, and 11. And my favorite part of that is that at the end, he throws up his hands and he says, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how ultimately how all of that fits together. But he says, I do know this. There is one who does. And his ways are beyond figuring out. And I'm going to be okay with that, the Apostle Paul says. And that's that great and amazing doxology that Danny read as we begin our worship time uh, today, hallowed is equivalent to holy. God is holy. Some in centuries past have called him holy other, uh, spelling it W-H-O-L-L-Y, that he is so far beyond us, and we want that. We need a God that we can't completely understand. We need a God that's greater than we are. Uh, we need a God that is worthy Uh, not only of our trust, but also of our worship. And that is the God that we serve. God's name is already holy, though. There's never been a time when God's name wasn't holy. So what is stated here? Well, I think it's this, and that is that God's name is to be treated as holy. His name has always been holy, but his name has not and is not always holy treated as holy, as sacred. That term holy is a term that is uh, an adjective, and we've heard the sermons and the lessons about it means set apart, it means something special, something distinctive. And so God's people are holy in the same sense that God is holy, not worthy of worship, but a call to be a special people with a special purpose set apart for God's use. 
Um, and the term saint even is a term that is related to the term holy. It's actually a, a, an adjective, holy, used as a noun. And so maybe a, a more uh, a literal translation of that term is holy one. Uh, and we have translated it in many uh, circles, uh, saint. God's name is to be treated as holy. It's not just holy. It's to be treated that way as well. And that begins at the very beginning. It begins in uh, the creation that we'll mention in just a little bit. And it continues on when God gives his people the law through Moses at Mount Sinai. The writer of Hebrews would later look back on that as a very fearful experience. The Jews being told, look, you, you don't even approach that mountain. Don't even touch that mountain or else you'll die. Um, and the writer of Hebrews has a, a different point to make as he talks about how through Jesus Christ, in spite of God's holiness and righteousness, we can draw near to him now. But in Exodus 20, as God gives the Ten Commandments through Moses, he begins with the holiness of the name of God. After remembering that it's God who has delivered them, the Ten Commandments begin in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waves below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And then the third commandment, verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. God's name is to be treated as holy. He is a holy God. His name is holy. And we'll say in just a moment that God's name is a reminder and a sign of God himself. Not just the name, but the person of God. But God's name is to be treated as holy. And Moses, that's where he begins. You shall not worship any other God but me. You shall not even worship me by worshiping an image of me. God says, and then he says, you shall honor the name of God and not abuse it and not misuse it. And why is that so important? Well, perhaps Jesus gives us the answer to that better than anyone. We turn to the New Testament, to Matthew chapter 12. And I think Jesus gives us a couple of reasons why. It is absolutely essential for us to honor the name of God and to not misuse or abuse it in what we say. Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 33, Jesus says this, Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart 
is full of. Verse 34. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you, verse 36, that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Now that is... That should frighten every single one of us because as James says later in the New Testament, that who can control their tongue? If you say you can control your tongue, then you're basically you're saying I can control everything because that's the hardest thing. And why would Jesus make such a statement? Why would he say that this is so absolutely important that everyone will be judged based on what they have said? Not just what they have done, what they have said, what has come out of their mouths. Again, verse 36, and then reading verse 37 with it. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Again, why is it that this is so vital? This is so important. And I think we go back to the second part of verse 34 for the answer. Jesus says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I've had people through the years ask me, Bill, I I know how important it is, and I know God's going to judge us based on what's in our heart, but how do I know what's in my heart? And I think there are a few places in Scripture where there's a little indication, there's a little window that says, do you want a little window into what's in your heart? Here it is. And in this case, Jesus says, that window is your words. What comes out of your mouth is a reflection of what is in your heart. And if in our words... We do not maintain God as being holy. Then it leads to that even greater question of, can we truly say then that in our hearts we regard the name of God as holy? Jesus says you want to know what kind of tree it is, you look at the fruit, and you want to know what's in someone's heart, then you listen to their words. And if they're words of unkindness, and if they're words of disrespect, and if they're words of cruelty, and if they're words of selfishness, then that gives us a little indication of what kind of heart they have. But if they're words that honor the name of God, that seek to build up rather than tear down, that seek to praise God rather than to treat his name lightly, that also tells us what is in our hearts. A few other passages are listed on our outlines, including this one from Luke 6, verse 45, which affirms what, Jesus, what Matthew records Jesus is saying. In Matthew 6, 45, Luke records Jesus saying, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A different way of saying the same thing. Hallowed is equivalent to holy in our speech and in our words, in our hearts, in our lives, in our worship. We are to honor the name of God. We are to worship and serve 
the creator. In all reverence. In all holiness. In all joy. Hallowed is equivalent to holy. But there's a second part of this statement of Jesus in this prayer. And that is the name. Hallowed be your name. The name of God is equivalent to God himself. I believe in scripture you cannot separate those two. When you read in scripture something about the name of God or the name of Jesus as we're going to see in several passages of scripture in the book of Acts. It is signifying the person of God. It is signifying the person of Jesus Christ by signifying his name. We have sung some wonderful, beautiful songs today about the name of Christ and the name of God and that God's name would be glorified. And that is certainly consistent with scripture. In Matthew 28, when Jesus gives us his great commission, he tells us to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We are to baptize in the name of God himself. We are to baptize by the authority of God himself. That is what that name, that statement, that phrase would reflect to the first century people who heard that. When you, and even to us today, if someone comes in the name of someone else, we realize that they are fully representing them. That it's as if that person were here themselves. <clears throat> And so when Jesus says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that's what he's saying. Baptize them by the authority of God himself. But I want us to turn to a few chapters in the book of Acts, starting in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of the church. We've been talking about the book of Acts in my Facebook live study on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 4 p.m. on my Facebook page. Many of you have been... um, viewing some of those and have given me a lot of great encouragement in that. In Acts chapter 2, of course, the apostles are given the great gift, extraordinary gift of the Holy Spirit. They begin to teach and preach in the name of the resurrected Jesus for the first time. And so as a part of that, Luke records Peter's sermon. And Peter says this in Acts 2 verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, what does that mean? That means calling on Jesus Christ himself, calling on the name of the Lord. And then we see that when he makes his point and and expresses what the response of faith is. Beginning in verse 36, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah or Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And then Acts 2 verse 38 says this, Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were to be baptized in the name of the one they had just crucified less than two months before. The one that God had raised from the dead. The one, as Peter said, that God made both Lord and Christ. The one that Paul says was declared with power to be the Son of God through the resurrection, Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's no contradiction between Matthew 28 and Acts 2. 
Jesus says in Matthew 28, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Peter says in in Acts 2, baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. Both are effective, both are completely biblical, both are completely scriptural. Why? Because the significance is not what is said at the baptism. The significance is, is what is in that person's heart. Are they being baptized as an act of faith? Is this something that they are doing because of their belief in Jesus Christ? Because they have decided to repent, to to change their lives. And they have made that statement of confession to let everyone there know that that's what they believe. Then they are baptized by the authority of the one who lived and died and was raised for us. They are being baptized in the name of God himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. The name of God is equivalent to God himself and is so significant as we keep reading in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 3, the apostles heal this man and it becomes a big mess for the Jews. Acts chapter 3 verse 6, they've seen this man uh, who has been lame and uh, lame from birth and over 40 years old. And in Acts 3, verse 6, Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And you can't shut him up after that. The guy is standing, he's jumping, he's dancing, he's shouting, he's doing everything in the world to praise God, because for the first time in his life, he can do those things well as you would figure that's not going to sit too well with the jewish leaders and so we skip down in acts 3 to verse 16 by faith in the name of jesus this man whom you see and know was made strong it is jesus name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all See, like any good preacher, Peter's going to use that moment to preach the gospel, to tell people why this happened and what it means to them. And he does, letting them know clearly it is in the name of Jesus that this has happened. Well, in chapter 4, they're dragged before uh, the Jewish leaders, uh, Peter and John are, and they're questioned as to how they could do this and why they did this. And so Peter responds in verse 8 of Acts 4. Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. (laughs) I think what Peter is referring to there is that is the most ridiculous question I could ever dream of. You're asking me why we did a good thing here? You're asking why we healed this man, gave this man the ability to walk and run and jump and dance for the first time in his life? And that's why we're on trial here? Well, as ridiculous as that question is, Peter says, I'll be glad and honored to answer it. Verse 10 of Acts 4, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. We skip down to 
Acts 4, verses 18 and 19. Then after deliberating the Jewish leaders call Peter and John in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And then down to verse 29. Now, Lord, as the church gathers to pray, they pray this. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Chapter 5 continues that same message. All of the apostles this time are out preaching. All of the apostles are arrested. The Spirit delivers them. They're arrested the very next day. Except now it's not just threats to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Now they are beaten and flogged. And for the first time, Christians are persecuted in a physical way. For trusting in and acknowledging and worship and speaking in the name of Jesus. Of Jesus Christ. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the holy diadem and crown him Lord of all. Hallowed is equivalent to holy. The name of God is equivalent to God himself. And lastly today, Jesus' words are a statement against idolatry. We go back to Exodus 20. We go back to worshiping no other gods but him. Jesus' words are a statement against idolatry. And I want to make a couple of applications of that. First, there are more obvious idols. (laughs) In Acts 17, Paul is in Athens and he's looking around in in first century Greece and, and seeing all these altars to all of these gods that are not gods at all. And he challenges them on that. In the Old Testament, the prophets time and time and time again accused Israel of committing spiritual adultery, of of leaving, worshiping, and serving the one true and living God for something that is not God at all. Isaiah especially clearly condemns that, but they all do. And there are more obscure idols. There are some obvious ones like that kind of concrete idolatry. Worshipping wood and stone. But there are more obscure idols. Jesus says in Matthew 6 verse 24, no one can serve two masters. He'll be faithful to one and despise the other. He'll be devoted to the other and despise the first. But you cannot serve God and money in the context of Matthew 6. And it's the same context with which the rich young ruler in Matthew 19 will not obey Christ. Rather, he will hear what Jesus has to say when he challenges him to leave the God he was serving. That materialism and to give it all up to serve him, he wouldn't do it. And so we're reminded of Matthew 6, verse 33, to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. That parable that was mentioned earlier, the parable of the thorns, that particular part of ground in the parable of the sower and the seed and the soils primarily. The thorns are these obscure idols that get in the way, as Danny shared in our communion time. And they could be a lot of things. They could be money. They could be status. Um, 
popularity, if you're a, a, a young person, a teen, status at work, status in the community, position, they can be even family members that we place above God. They can be even our own country and our own political that too can take the place of God. We've been reminded of that, especially over these past few months as we have tried to make sense of everything that's going on. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst even of celebrating our independence, which I'm so very glad we did and do, it's a reminder for us again that we serve one who is God and that there is only one name who is to be hallowed, that is holy. I shared some thoughts about this in my Facebook devotional on the 4th of July yesterday. And we've sung about it today. We will glorify the King of Kings. We will glorify the Lamb. We will glorify the Lord of Lords, who alone is the great I am. Let's watch out for those more obscure idols that get in our way, that are thorns in our path and in our ground that we may not initially see, and that Satan uses to take us away from the one who is worthy of our worship. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about that name, the name of Jesus. So a few scripture passages, and then we'll close. First of all, Genesis 1, verse 1, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. 2 Timothy 3, that passage that talks about how the word of God is inspired, God breathed, and is profitable for all of these things so that we can be thoroughly furnished and equipped for every good work. And then the call is to preach and teach that word. Finally, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the resurrection chapter, the importance of the death, burial, and resurrection. Because the, all of Christianity stands or falls on that. If there is no resurrection, then we, our faith is vain. Our hope is vain. We have no credibility, Paul says, and he is right. Does it change anything in your life that God created you? Does it change anything in your life that this is his word? Does it change anything in your life that that tomb is empty? Those all point to making holy and treating as holy the name of God. Hallowed be your name. God and God's name should be treated as holy. Due honor and reverence and worship should be given to God and only God in our lives, in our families, in the church, and in the world. Only the name of God, God himself, is to be hallowed and is worthy of our reverence and our worship. God alone is holy. God alone is worthy of our reverence, of our worship. And so as we have sung and as we have prayed today,
we end repeating that prayer, glorify thy name in all the earth. This morning, if we can help you honor and glorify and remain to keep hallowed the name of Christ, come as we stand and sing together.